Good morning. This is Ron Kittle of the Chicago White Sox, and you are listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'll see you in the future. Welcome to Too Much Scrolling for December 26, 2023. I'm Steve Fodor. And I'm the baby new year. Dressed appropriately, of course. We're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully they're important to you. If you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information. It's Boxing Day today, Chip. Happy Boxing Day. I hope everybody had a wonderful Christmas. Happy Festivus. All of the wonderful things that have happened up until this point. The holiday season keeps on going. And yes, this is our final show of 2023. So Happy New Year, baby New Year. Of course. Well, I'm dressed like Baby New Year, but of course it is Boxing Day, Steve. I hope you, your staff is enjoying their their holiday after helping you enjoy your holiday, Steve. They are well compensated. <laughs> Film at 11. Brings us to our film at 11, our movie of the week. You and I both got a chance to see the same movie for... That's a rarity on this show nowadays, Chip. When one goes to the theater to watch their their concert, Steve, we watch it on Netflix, right? Yes, I I was able to catch on Netflix the movie Maestro this week. I was looking forward to this movie for a long time. I'm a big fan of Leonard Bernstein, and his music is really the soundtrack of my life. You know, I snapped, Chuck. You're snapping your fingers. Yeah. You're snapping your fingers. Are, are you doing a gang fight right I, now? I, it's it's the Jets, dude. <laughs> Well, anyway, the, um, I, I tried to see if this was at the theater, mm-hmm. and it is playing. If you if you look it up, you can find a couple of theaters showing it in your area. But Alamo Drafthouse did not. I was actually kind of disappointed in that. So I broke down and got a, a subscription to Netflix for the month to be able to watch this and um, to enjoy the holidays with all the things that Netflix has to offer. So let's we'll talk a little bit about uh, Rocket Raccoon and his movies, Steve. Yes, Bradley Cooper, this is his movie in every way, shape, and form. Bradley Cooper produced, directed, wrote, and stars in this movie as Leonard Bernstein. And it's, it's amazing to me to think that that one human being could take on all of these roles in this movie. Yeah, and, and Carrie Mulligan plays his, his wife, or who would become the wife, and um, she also goes through her life uh, stage along with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, the, the big surprise to me, did you catch Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman's daughter? She was the daughter. Yes, Maya Hawke. <laughs> from Stranger Things, is still a fantastic actor, and she really shines as one of the daughters in this. She's got the super voice, yes. like, and, and she certainly looks like Emma Thurman. Holy cow. Yes, she does. Absolutely she does, and she acts like Ethan Hawke, and it's, it's amazing to see her growing up as she has as this child of those stars, and, and she's, she's something to watch. This movie is one of those movies that I think is up for Oscars. I think that there's going to be some nominations for this movie. And as we have discussed for the last 10 years, I don't like these kind of movies. This is the kind of movie, the, the life, the biopic that covers an entire lifetime. I found this really slow. I found this storytelling boring. How did you feel about this one? Oh, I didn't find it boring. I thought that the opening scene was incredible, where the phone call comes in, and he's having a conversation in the dark, and then he opens the curtains, and then you, you get a reveal, and then it's one shot. It kind of he rolls into what becomes the uh, concert uh, theater, and then they continue the shot up until where you know, the podium is, is up there. That's an incredible shot. I, I don't disagree with you. There, there are some real challenges with this movie. I do not think this is the best film of, of the year. Agreed. But um, I do. I, I didn't. I liked it. I mean, I, but some of the challenges I have with it are like Napoleon. You got a big paintbrush. Mm-hmm. You're going over such a large period of time for sure that 
you have to anchor yourself. And this movie, by the way, did a better job, in my opinion, to anchoring myself to the story, maybe because it didn't have the war experiences and all those other things. But I do think that there are some, some challenges with it. I want to mention that they really focused on his sexual situation. Agreed. As opposed to all of his music. Mm-hmm. And that seems so very Gen Z. Yeah. Like Gen Z somehow thinks that their sexuality defines every moment of who this person is. But Leonard Bernstein would be forgettable if he wasn't the you know prolific art- artist he is. And the work didn't support what he accomplished, but it kind of keeps keeps flipping around. And I I think that this is not going to serve this well for, you know, one for the ages. And that's why, you know, I I discount this movie as a a winner of best movie of the year, although it will be nominated. Mm -hmm. What do you got? You got Bradley Cooper, you got Spielberg, got this great cast. The one thing that we keep talking about is separating the artist from the art. Can I be a fan of somebody's art without being a fan of the person? Leonard Bernstein is a great example. I am a huge fan of his art. And boy, oh boy, does his music feature in this movie. The the moments that are shared in this movie are using that stunning musicality of Leonard Bernstein. And that was my favorite part of this movie. Every time some piece of Bernstein music came up, I was like, I could be watching that movie. I could be watching that story. That's a better story than this story. When, when they kicked into almighty father, which is a big part of my life, that piece of music from mass, I was, I was into that piece of music and completely discounting the movie. All the West Side Story pieces, every piece that they added to the motion of this film was that music. And then, of course, they closed this movie with the overture to Candide, which is, uh, let's just say, my favorite piece. Yeah. So uh, to give another uh, example of some of the challenges, there was a scene where he's having a performance of one of his pieces and he's up in the press box with his wife and this this gentleman and he like holds his hand and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and the response was the wife who had certainly had some kind of arrangement with him eventually just leaves the concert hall and goes home throws his pillow and and pajamas at the front door yeah monogram slippers of of course why it's Leonard Benstein why not um but the next scene, they're at like the parade, and they're in the the room, and the wife and the husband are having an argument. But it's sort of, but not really. I mean, it's just kind of disconnected yeah. uh, from this. And um, you know, eventually he comes back, to, of course, to take care of his wife because the love there was very deep. Right. But you know, he he was a very complicated person, and it just seems that. We danced around a whole bunch of things. Maybe they should have told this from her point of view all the time or told it from the the music's point of view. But I felt that it's just so typical of this this period of time that, you know, we're going to focus on the sexuality as opposed to why these people are important. It's a matter of like, we're going to do Dwight the Eisenhower, you know, general and president, and we spend all the time talking about his sex life. Yeah. I agree. Come on. Come I, on. I absolutely on. agree. I usually disagree with you on this, but I absolutely agree this time because I think the music is the most important and that is the the strongest emotional piece for me is the music. Yes, we go through illness, we go through relationships, we go through all of that, but it's the music that drives it. Yeah, time kills us all on this. Let me go ahead and say this 65 out of 100 um, once again, this is going to be attempted to be a movie of the year. Who knows? Maybe it wins it. But I, I don't think this is the strongest film I've seen this year. Okay. You also got a chance to see Poor Things. This is a story based on a novel featuring Emma Stone, Willem Dafoe, Mark Ruffalo. This is an all-star cast. How was Poor Things? Well, Steve, you know, every year they release the Oscar for Best Weird Character played by Willem Dafoe. 
And uh, I think he's got this one. Um, he's got it wrapped up. He's going to win again this year, Steve. He's just that actor that you that you call on when you've got a weird character. Like, North, uh, Northman last year, you know, and then we get poor things this year. There's always like some weird character. This is um, an interesting story. It's kind of a Frankenstein story. It's certain it's got a, like a Tim Burton type feel to it, but it's not Tim Burton. It's got the feeling of steampunk mm. um, kind of going through it. And, and Willem Dafoe's character is a medical doctor who's teaching surgery. You enter his home, he's got, you know, like a, a pig with a duck back to it. He's combining them. Um, it's a South Park sketch at that point. Well, there's a lot going on. You Obviously, he's kind of playing around with that and lives this unique life. And you, you later learn that he was abused and all sorts of stuff. But it doesn't really matter. The goal of this is to be kind of an oddball film. And it certainly plays there. If there's a depth to it, I had a full crowd, by the way, for this. Everybody was very happy. Uh, it was packed. Your description was does all... not sound like something that the general public would like to watch, but that's that's interesting. Well, I'm at the Alamo Draft House. Maybe it has something to do with it. I, I and it's opening it night, and it's a date night thing. There's people talking beside me, having a little chit-chat while before the movie starts. And it's kind of black and white-ish at times. I think it may have moved to color eventually. Regardless of, of how it plays out, this is really the story about being an infant and getting control of your body. Interesting. And then moving it through life and all the experiences that a young person would have. Lots of sexuality, by the way, in this film. Ex explicit. Okay. Um, and then um, basically becoming that... Of, that learned person, hmm. that person who's experienced enough of life that their decisions are their own. They're comfortable with who they are. Hmm. And um, I think that they, that this is certainly a um, an interesting story. This is not going to appeal to everybody. And if this one does picture, I think people would, you know, that's just oddball um, Hollywood type thing. Okay. But there is, a, there is something that's special about it. And there's, like I said, you know, not, not everybody likes Tim Burton films. This has got that sort of feeling. Hmm. Um, and there's, there is a um, you know, little creative story underneath it that's well told. I'll say 68 out of 100 hmm. and uh, good stuff. I am totally intrigued. I had not heard about this one, and now I'm going to seek this one out. Interesting, interesting. You also watched uh, a, a baseball movie, <laughs> the, a documentary about the life of Yogi Berra. All right, so this came to the theaters briefly this uh, spring. And uh, when it came to the theaters, I, I, I wanted to see it, but it was out like within the week. Maybe, maybe a week or two. I miss this one. It ain't over. It's about Yogi Berra. Yes. And Yogi Berra, first of all, we know Yogi Berra from Yogiisms. Yeah. We know Yogi Berra maybe as the manager. Maybe. Steve's got. Maybe the beginning of my autograph hunt was this Yogi Berra autographed photo that I got at, I think it was Sam's Club was selling it. And so Yogi Berra is a, is a, real character in the the history of baseball well it has a lot of interviews with yogi berra and his family and players and one of the i think what what made this so important was um there was a baseball game where they were naming the four greatest baseball players living baseball players and yogi berra was left off of this list hmm. and what the daughter speculated which i think rightly so is that we know Yogi Berra, the pitch man. We know Yogi Berra from our youth, our youth, mm -hmm. uh, being a manager of the Yankees, and um, not from his playing career, and not from his early manager. You know, we, we know him from his late manager period of time. Right. So think about the people that we know. We, you know you're lucky enough to be grow up in Chicago, mm -hmm. and you have all these wonderful uh, Chicago players that are available to you. Well, you know, for a kid growing up in North Carolina, who do we get? We get Tommy Lasorda from, you know, L.A. We get Yogi Berra. By the way, 
growing up in North Carolina, our home team, do you have any idea who the home team of North Carolina was? No, I, I really don't. Tell us. Well, it was the Yankees. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. And that was, so think about, you know, North Carolina to New York, you know, it's, it's an hour and a half flight if you wanted to go up there. Babe Ruth, by the way, hit his first professional home run, not too far from my high school. All right. So, but um, regardless, we also had the rise of the Braves and the Superstations going on. And much like the Cubs uh, with WGN, WTVS was where you'd watch the Braves. So that was switching around. But when I was young, it was, it really was the Yankees. Hmm. Well, anyway, this is a, a wonderful exploration of Yogi Berra, the person who was an incredible person. Players really loved working under him. And it was all of his insight came from being this incredibly gifted player. And everybody made fun of him because he had this, he, he didn't look like, they, they said, he didn't look like these um, these Greek gods that played for the Yankees at the time. You know, big, tall, strong people. You know, he's kind of short and hunched over and he's got a funny face and all these other fun things. But he certainly, they trained him to be a, a catcher. He was incredibly gifted at it. He hit better than these four players, by the way. He, he had more championships. Everything was like so, it wasn't just a little bit. It was on such a, a grander scale. But in the public consciousness, and we'd be part of that, we knew him from a different era. And isn't that incredible? So as great as Wilt Chamberlain was as a basketball player, we still talk about Michael Jordan being the greatest player. Or is it LeBron James? Or is it going to be some other player? Yeah. As things march in the past, their significance, while certainly great at the time, gets diminished. Yeah. I, I, I love my memories of Yogi Berra. The, yes, he was that character. I don't think of him as a player at all. That is not a part of my memory. So I can see how he would not be honored as a great player because of the, the interesting character that he was in baseball. Interesting. And I'm going to blow you away, just surprise you. Um, you know, it's the Yankees and uh, it's history, right? And mm -hmm. so Bill Christie, of course, is, in, is part of this interview. Okay. So would you suggest this to uh, listeners of a certain age, Chip? A certain age. I, I think that if you were a family, you had some interest in baseball. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I, I say 60 out of 100 for this, this film. This is what you really, in your heart of hearts, know. Yogi Berra was a really good man. There you go. And he had a, he was a, a good man who really took care of his players. Players like playing with him. There's the the player that had the no hitter. He basically said that Yogi Berra walked him through it. Yeah, I think for all the pressure of not having a hit during a game. Hmm. Players loved playing for him as a, a coach. You know, they're, they're losing. They're not. They're not. Everything's not coming together. He's pretty, not that he's calm all the time, but he's very kind of even keel. He's not destroying his players. He knows the game of baseball because he had to know it to be the uh, great batter that he was, to be the, the great coach he became. And there's a, a really good scene, a very um, powerful scene, where his son, who also played for the Yankees, by the way, was caught uh, using cocaine. And his son came home, and Yogi Berra had to put his foot down. When do you give ultimatums when it really matters? Not, not in things that don't matter. And he said to his son, he goes, I love you, but if you're going to come to our, our family, if you're going to be around your mom and your brothers, you can't do this. And, that, and the son said, I knew at that moment I had to make a decision. And he didn't give him like, well, think about it over a week. He said, I need you to make the decision today. And so when you've got that type of respect from the people around you, the people you love, they know that he has the best interest of them. You know that you've got a special person. And he lived a special life. There's a museum that you can go and see his stuff. And um, you can learn some yogiisms, because why not? When you come to a fork in the road, Steve, what should you do? You take it. <laughs> 
Our book of the week. Oh, it's another downer week, Chip. I got bad news for you. The zeitgeist of the 21st century is uh, frightening and scary. I read a book called The Chaos Machine, the inside story of how social media rewired our minds and our world. This was published about a year ago by Max Fisher and Max Fisher is an international reporter building on his years of international reporting. He's put together his deep dive into how Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and all the other social networks have really changed the way we think really changed our world and not in many good ways. Unfortunately, no, we read a book similar, but different. I don't know, a year or so ago, about the, the team that put together Gmail. And they talked a little bit about uh, how that would work. I'm fascinated to hear a little bit about this book. So, Steve, tell us a little bit about you know, how the social media is influencing us. Very much like that book that you were talking about, the idea of for-profit organizations, businesses building upon the idea of the addictive quality of all of this social media really drives the algorithm that makes us really deep dive into some of these issues and on other issues going into a very, very, very shallow level and understanding something that we don't truly understand, but the, the, the conspiracy theories and all of the negativity that comes from social media is really highlighted in Max Fisher's book. I say, I think that the awakening that we are coming to understand it's kind of like gambling, okay? So there's a reason why Las Vegas was a great place to go gamble, because you could go there mm -hmm. and you could experience it, but it wasn't part of your everyday impact. Because we know that as mammals and humans and as our brains work, we are addicted to whatever the dopamine, whatever it's it's providing us. Mm -hmm. And we have the science down to understand how to work the human. Mm -hmm. And this is why this is, when I say dangerous, it's, we're all addicted to it, Steve. I, I we're all addicted. How many times did you pull out your phone during the holidays? Right. Just, to, just to check something. And for what, for what, to what end, what is it about that gaining of knowledge, that tiny little morsel of knowledge that really impacts your brain and your thinking and therefore changes the way you're communicating with the people who are in the room with you? That is a big issue. So tell us a little bit more about some of the insights you gave. The chapter that has stuck with me since I read this book is chapter two, which is titled Everything is Gamergate. Do you remember, do you remember Gamergate? There was a time in history when the video game community got angry. And the author here says that that anger is not from video games. It's not from the people involved in Gamergate. It goes further than that. It goes back to the beginning of Silicon Valley, the beginning of the formation of all of these mega corporations like Apple and Facebook and all the others, these little clubs of computer nerds who got together and decided to build these things they had a culture and the author here says that he thinks that culture really dominates the thinking of these mega corporations on a global scale at this point. You're saying it's, it's kind of rifling its way through the general population at this time. It is controlling all of these corporations in a way that it is therefore impacting our, our lives outside of these corporations. That's the author's idea. Gamergate, where a young woman was threatened on a level that is inconceivable that she was receiving death threats and threats of all sorts of violence against her for her gaming 
is what we see now for just about anybody who somebody decides is thinking differently from them. Everything is Gamergate. Every idea that you disagree with, you have the opportunity to use hate speech and to threaten violence on a level that is before social media was you know letters you could write a letter and threaten somebody you're going to write a, a really angry a letter really to, strong to the letter. newspaper that uh that they may pick up and if they did pick it up they could print it but most likely they didn't now you can get on social media which name your flavor uh -huh. and you could basically just make it happen right now and then there's the immediate regret afterwards in many ways too the outrage and fear that is able to be magnified on a global scale is sincerely frightening to me. The way that people can threaten others and, and send, you know, SWAT teams to someone's home on the level that they can in 2023 is terrifying. Well, in fact, I'm thinking about that kid just a few years ago that drove up to Washington, D.C. He was from North Carolina. So he drove three and a half hours up to D.C., shows up at that pizza place, and walks in with a gun looking for the basement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just to, that ability to jack someone up, mm -hmm. enter their brain, and put them on a mission. They're thinking they're saving something. Right. But what they've done is they've been manipulated. Right. Those sorts of events are things that we really need to look out for on a global scale when we talk about war when we talk about militants when we talk about pockets of people who are ready to go and fight for their cause what truth is there behind those ideas and you can find these fairly quickly um and i, I you can see the outrage remember there was who was it was during the israel uh hamas types the palestine stuff and the uh, hospital that was said to have been hit through bombs. And then uh, that they hit the New York Times. They hit the hit all the papers, right? Mm -hmm. And then, like, the next day they said, oh, they, they, they didn't hit the hospital. The hospital's right there. Here's pictures of, the, of that hospital. It hit the parking deck there. And then, you know, a few weeks later, you get more information about it. And it just seems like, that in the old days, when we got our information from the newspaper, that gave us some um, pause a little bit. It certainly was manipulating us because, you know, what the New York Times reported turned out to be incorrect, not because of someone meaning to. It's just they received the newsreel and they, they were writing their stories. Um, but we really are in a, unless you're incredibly savvy, Mm -hmm. And many people just don't have the time to be that savvy. What do you do with the, with the people crossing the border down in Mexico? It's like 20,000 20, 20, a month, right? You know, is it happening? Well, people post videos of it all the time. Our newspapers pick it up in a different way. Politicians pick it up a different way. And so you're kind of looking at four or five different realities all at once, trying to figure out you're the, you're the layperson. Yeah. You just, you're the outsider. You're, just, you're, you're, you're trying to figure out what's the best way to be a humanitarian, but also recognizing there's limited resources, preserving your community, preserving what's available to your neighbors and friends and, and uh, your state and all that other stuff. Mm -hmm. And then you're trying to like funnel all this. And then you've got, and, and what it, it sets up is a group of people that look more hateful. Mm -hmm. look more reactionary and less thoughtful it's going to define our age it is it is the zeitgeist of the 21st century so far it is that thing that is driving the conversation social media really has changed the way we think it's changed our our questions it's changed the answers what is truth how do we detect the truth and how do we funnel all of that information to discover what the best course is for our day that is the topic and this escalation seems to continue whether you're watching 
I mean, if your parents watch CNN news, they watch Fox News, right? What are you going to see? You're going to see polars. Yeah. Polar opposites. Your loved ones are watching, you know, some funnel through some social media that takes them down to Q mm. level or some conspiracy level. Um, and all of a sudden, you're having Christmas dinner and you're talking about ancient aliens, too. It could happen. The reptilians are going to take over. The um, algorithm giving you the the flavor that you like is something that we have discussed many times. How do you know the things that the algorithm is not feeding you? How do you find out? And if those things are true and you don't know it, are you ignorant? And if those things are not true and somebody else is giving that information to you, how do you know what is true? So you move to commentary on somebody and you follow, you know, John Smith, something ha has the right commentary for your flavor of reality. Mm -hmm. And you've, you've designated it to a, a person to yeah. give you your thinking, which is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't say terrible. It is. But, no, it, it is. It, 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 but it, you know, stick going back to the fifties and sixties and you're watching, you know, I don't know, Walter Cronkite or whatever you're doing. That was your trusted source. Right. And it, and while it certainly may have had um, some kind of biases, mm -hmm. there was also some kind of standards that they were trying to, you know, we were moving from, I don't know, the 1800s or whatever it was where um, things were, it's always been chaotic, but, you know, we were trying to assimilate to the white picket fence society, right? You know, mom, dad, and two kids. And uh, we've got the, the Weber in the back. We're firing hot dogs. And we're going to go and play some baseball afterwards. You know, that type of thing. To recognizing that not everybody lives that life. Mm -hmm. To the point of we've weakened our um, news sources to the point where they're struggling. And they just need viewership. So they take more and more lightning rod issues and magnify them and all of a sudden you know objectively looking crime is down but you would never know it watching the news reading the news or going to social media everything is like oh this is the worst time ever no 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 life is so good you go to the grocery store you got all the food available to you if it bleeds, it leads has always been the way of the news. That has always been the sensationalism, but the social media has taken that to such a personal level that your algorithm is feeding you that thing, that flavor that you enjoy because it's driving the profits of those corporations. This is where I really got into this book and really went, wow, I should not be relying on these sources of information. I need to find a more diverse source of information than the social media because the algorithm is the enemy in 2023 in a lot of ways. So I'm going to suggest some ways of being able to do that. And it's not perfect, but it is just a suggestion. Listen, you can, um, Bezos bought Washington Post. You can subscribe for a year for like 20 bucks. Now, because you're not in Washington, right? You, you don't need local news. What you're looking for is just sort of skilled writers, okay? You can subscribe to the New York Times. I think it's for four or eight bucks a month. You can subscribe to the Wall Street Journal for whatever it is, 10 bucks a month or whatever it is. Um, that gives you at least three different areas. You've mm -hmm. got Substack there where a lot of the gifted writers who used to do investigative stuff, in fact, the guy that, that Musk let in to look at all the Twitter uh, files, uh, he's got a Substack. You can read his his commentary. He was the guy that was like, wow, this is, this is the, the government and social media have worked together to create a, a narrative that they would like and su suppress legitimate people who are with legitimate skills mm -hmm. uh, and expertise from being able to com uh, complain. I, I, there's no perfect answer to this, but you've got to find a better way than going to, you know, whatever that guy is, John Smith, commentary guy, who is going to jack you up and the world's coming to an end. Right. It's, it's, there's so many of those pictures where 
I don't know, um, the guy standing in the marsh after the storm, and it looks like it's the worst storm ever, only to see the, um, I don't know, everybody else is in, on dry land. Birdemic. Oh, oh my goodness, there's a birdemic. We're going to run out of town. And traffic is flowing just fine in both directions behind the scene. Yes, that is that's what we're talking about. Is is where where your perspective creates that chaos. So Steve, did he offer some solutions? I don't know that I got to any real solutions from this book other than I really took a, a big pause from social media. I have not been using a lot of social media for the last, I don't know, six months since I read this book. I add my voice to social media and that's about it. I don't look at a lot of the the voices that are reporting information on social media the same way after reading this. Except for too much scrolling. We seem to be the most objective voice out there, Steve. Not true. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly are a biased. We certainly have our point of view and we certainly share our thinking for sure. Your your bias is our objective uh, vision, Steve. (laughs) There's your headline. There's your headline. (laughs) Our bias is your objective position. I, I recommend <laughs> I recommend thinking about this, especially in the new year. What are we going to do? Who are we in 2024? And uh, social media is a, a big part of who we are right now, and it's a, it's a big question in my mind after reading. <laughs> That's the Chaos Machine, the inside story of how social media rewired our minds and our world. Published in 2022 by Max Fisher. Scroll with it. Brings it to our scroll with it. It is the end of the year. This is our last episode of 2023. We want to thank everybody for joining us for 2023. It's time for Chip's favorite episode, our favorites of 2023. I've asked Chip to tell us his favorite book, movie, and news story of the year. Remember, this is never the best movie, book, and news story of the year. It's just our favorites, so so don't uh, don't argue with us. Oh, this is the best, Dave. So don't th- don't they know who I am? <laughs> so, Chip, what is your favorite book of 2023? All right, the book I picked was Jean Twin. She's the professor at San Diego State. And her book is Generations, The Real Difference Between Gen Z, Millennials, Gen X, Boomers, and Silence, and What They Mean for America's Future. It was released this year, and it was incredibly insightful. I would, in fact, because of this book, I ended up picking up her earlier books. She really has a pulse. If you're looking to communicate better with different generations or understand our blind spots, for each generation we have blind spots, or what's important to them, then this is incredibly gifted author at being able to present this to us this is one of those books that has stuck with you since you read it huh absolutely in fact i ended up reading z economy from it i've got a whole list of books to read and they're going to come from this this part too because it really is it it defines what the zeitgeist of the moment was uh and what what is important what is being fed to our our young people what's what how they differ why why when somebody's yelling, get off my lawn, mm-hmm. you know, they may be speaking from different experiences. Uh, just on the grand scheme of things, think of uh, J.K. Rowling on Twitter and her readers and the, the, the battle that's going on right now. And could that battle easily be defined by their ages? And what was important in their youth and the struggles they had. And could we look at a lot of issues that way? Because when you, you, you just, we just have the holidays, right? You sit across from people from different generations and they are talking about things. And, you know, one group is shaking their heads like they have no idea. Like, why is this important? Mm-hmm. Well, could it be? that you're defined by um, where you grew up. And in fact, one of the insights she had was technology. When you're, the, the groups that we have are getting smaller and smaller because if you want to stay young, 
you need to adopt young people's technology. Mm-hmm. So, you know, of course, that means we're all on TikTok now, Steve. Of course, of course, I'm on TikTok. I don't understand it, but I'm on it. We got some dances to do, Steve. That's right. Steve, I've spent some time telling about my uh, book of the year. Tell us a little bit about your book. My favorite book of 2023 is absolutely, without a doubt, The Ferryman by Justin Cronin. This was one of the books that we read with Pam. We really got deep into this story. And unfortunately, I can't explain this story without spoiling it. This is one of those stories where I say, this is the story of a ferryman. You know, the guy who takes you after you die and moves you to the next life. And you go, okay, that's an interesting story. And then it gets weird. This story completely, absolutely flips on itself after the beginning, after the introduction of the characters, this story completely flips in a way that I loved. I think about this story all the time. There's a lot of science fiction in this story. I will not tell you what the science fiction is. I recommend the ferryman to everybody, especially people of a certain age who are thinking about life after death because there's so much to this story. Did you- I do remember reading it, and we certainly had a good time doing that. That's good. That's two good books to consider. Two very, very different books. This show is full of two very different men, sir. How about movies? What is your favorite movie of 2023? There are a few movies that I meant to say that I haven't seen because you know they kind of release them all at once. But these are the ones as of our recording that I've seen and I think are, are the best out there. My first one was American Fiction. It just was released a couple of weeks ago. And uh, it is, if you haven't seen the trailer on it, um, you should. It is the onion that continues to peel. Every time you think you can take uh, you know, some stereotype, some group of people, and you can point a finger and go, that. Mm. Um, you just recognize we're just so much more complex than that. And then throw on, you know, life that's going on around this person. So when I reviewed it, um, uh, originally I said 79 out of a hundred, this is my highest, um, rated film this year. This is not anywhere near my highest rated film for the previous year, which Mm. was all quiet on the Western front, which was at 90. Um, but I do think this, there's a lot of commentary in here that if you're willing to watch it, you are going to understand today, you're going to understand why it's so important to allow people just to to be and create their art and find their audience. And it is them or it isn't them. It doesn't really matter. Don't you, this We can have standards in society, but as long as people aren't hurting each other with them, I think that you'll find that, that um, they, they, there's a lot of depth a lot more depth in it than we, we think that it, there is. A very poignant, fun movie. I, I, I'm going to add a second one to this because most people are looking for a pop film. And uh, the Godzilla minus one, I put it 75 out of 100. That was another just um, joyous film to pick up. Wow. Uh, after the, after the um, being very tired of the superhero genre, which is the pop films, right? Or mm-hmm. the last... 10 years or so um that this is just it was so refreshing to to take um a concept back to its original um moment uh it's at the end of world war ii and you know there's destruction all around us and trying to rebuild a life only to have this monster come out and re-destroy it and having to rebuild 2023 write it down folks 2023 chip's favorite movie of 2023 okay second favorite is a kaiju film a kaiju film is on chip's list the world has gone insane it's it's a it's a reading uh, story too steve because, it's not even know, in english it's in japanese exactly exactly so anyway it's a foreign film wow where, where, where can we go that's that's so pretty Steve, stunning to me. I'm stunned to hear that one of your favorite movies is a kaiju film. I know how much you absolutely don't like kaiju and how much I love kaiju. And I haven't seen this movie yet. Of course I haven't. 
Well, it's, it, I will say that, you know, I, I don't dislike any genre. You can, listen, throw me in a Western if it's a good one, we'll watch it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I can watch any type of genre, but the, that could say that the films were pretty weak this year. You're right. That that might say something strong about the other films if your film is Godzilla. Well, Steve, um, I'm going to ask you about yours and just assume that there is a big cultural movement behind it. Yes. My favorite film of 2023, absolutely, hands down, without a question, I made my list and I said there's only one choice, and that is Barbie. The Barbie movie in 2023, yes, is a huge cultural push, yes, is a huge monster of a price tag for this movie and the values that were on display here are something that i think are very important those people who said no i'm never going to see a barbie movie a barbie movie this is absolutely something different from your experience with barbie this is making a statement about feminism it is a very strong statement about how we all need to work together and not discount half of our population based on gender yes gender is a big part of 2023 the zeitgeist of 2023 and what we talk about in school all day long with our young people is all about identity and the identity in the barbie movie is stunning uh, not just because shooty gatwa is in this movie it's not just because doctor who is in this movie but mostly good lord uh, first of all this was not aimed at us it was aimed at females uh and certainly uh the, 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 everyone i shouldn't say everyone most people ended up seeing this this uh film it certainly had uh, females um who who grew up with barbie very deeply there was some certainly some very touching um cases i have renamed my home I, I don't know if you know this i live in the mojo dojo casa house yeah i would argue that this is not aimed at females <laughs> this is na- this is aimed at feminists people who who think that we we might have a, a change of heart in how we treat each other and how we treat ken and how we treat barbie is an important message here kate mckinnon as as weird barbie is stunning in this i there's there's so much to this story so much more than the the pink that we see that they they ran out of pink the the world ran out of pink to make this movie chip why beach steve and uh i like horses i yes you do (laughs) you you certainly embody part of the message of this movie in so many ways and I, i i i know that about you on my list of movies that i made i also added cocaine bear evil dead rise and the dungeons and dragons honor among thieves as my other movies of 2023 but barbie certainly stood out amongst those how about the news chip what do you, what uh what happened in 2023 that you would rate as your favorite stories of 2023 all right so the one that professionally i had to deal with all year round um, was the federal funds uh, rate just continuously raising that, and what it did to my clients? Um, they're thinking about things because every time they would raise the rates, it would create havoc on on some treasuries and stuff like that. But anyway, um, we we went through I don't know twelve fifteen years of zero percent interest rates for uh, people. That, that means you put your money in savings. And you got nothing for it. Mm-hmm. And that is just a terrible way to run a society. That is a manipulative way um, of running a society. So we finally have some interest rates. If we do have some challenges that will come later on, the feds will be able to lower rates. But, you know, what can I say? They were able to do it, and we got a little pop at the end. How lovely for us. Okay. But So our next one is going to be, because interest rates were rising, uh, the tech industry, all of a sudden, they had to start paying for money. And uh, what does that mean, Steve? Well, that means that if you are um, Google or Amazon or Apple or any other group, in fact, Apple, I think, is 
saved itself from a lot of this. But um, if you're one of the big tech firms, Microsoft, you have had to actually run true business models on whether you keep something going. Alexa being a good example of it, where there was a large group of layoffs right there. And we learned that they were basically selling a lot of those Kindles and Alexa products at cost or at losses. Or at loss to, to get people into the ecosystem, yeah. Absolutely. So this is, we had all this wonderful innovation going on during this period of time where interest rates were so low, but it really took away from any other type of businesses out there. And we're going to see, we're going to see uh, a tightening of writing your business plan, whether this really is something to just invest in versus something that uh, should go elsewhere in other parts of the the, the market. And yeah, this is just part of I've studied it my whole life, man. I've studied economics my whole life. Mm -hmm. This has been fascinating uh, to watch, and um, I I think it's going to continue to be a fascinating story over the next year. All right. And let me me add one more thing. Elon Mm -hmm. Musk and Twitter, and um, he's a lightning rod. Uh, I still don't understand why he chooses to post anything on Twitter other than, like, we're glad that you're here. And, and we believe in free speech. We don't have to agree with anything. But if there's anything that Elon Musk has proven to all of us is that we just can't help it. He just goes in there and he puts his foot in his mouth yeah. so often. And we're here to watch. But, but here's the deal. You've got thousands of employees that are depending upon you in lots of different companies. There's so many and, companies that are de- that were dependent upon Twitter. And I don't know how many of those companies are still with Twitter at this point. I'm not thinking about those because you can choose to be on there or not. I'm thinking more along that you work with one of the uh, companies that Elon Musk runs, whether it's Twitter or, or uh, Tesla or one of the other ones. To have your CEO become a lightning rod means that your business model is at risk. You become a target for any number of things. And most CEOs want to be much more modest in their talking. But anyway, he's, he's got, um, some people call it FU money, Steve. Yeah. Yeah, he does. And because he does, he is able to, to come in and, um, you know, what did he, he exposed that there's some, some real challenges, connections between, social media, and government agencies. Um, I think he was able to prove that. In return, he has allowed free speech to reign on Twitter. Mm. In return, it makes everybody uncomfortable when you get to the more extremists. Mm -hmm. Because they're extremists. Right. And um, we know how the algorithms work. And that seems to be a, a problem. Because... While we agree that free speech is important, that doesn't mean you want to sit around listening to like the hate. most hateful people in the world. Hate. That's right. Build, build, build a following mm-hmm. because we know that um, ra- radicalization is not good. I mean, you can be radical in the sense of like, I like free speech. You don't want to be radical in like this group is not a good group and let's go murder yeah. them. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I think there is, I think the uncomfortable part we're dealing with is what we talked about in your book of the, of the week. Uh, and knowing that we don't have, we didn't have a platform for that type of free speech. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, there's, there's a reason we want curators in our lives. Maybe there's the, the point is where librarians come in back in the, the boat. And investigative journalists, the investigative journalist who is getting to the heart of the matter and that curator who is giving us both sides of an argument that that's education. That is what I'm trying to do in education is get to the heart of the problem and to have a balanced approach to that, not a radical one-sided idea. Well, and, and there's the, the other part about it. You just said that, you know, there's there's two sides to an argument. They're not there's not necessarily when you're not receiving another side of the argument, that's what we're getting. Yep. We're getting many times we're getting two sides of 
like I like war, and the other one guy's like, well, I like war more. Well, that's not really uh, not an argument. That's not that's not two sides of an argument, <laughs> and that's you know think about what politics is. I like uh, I like to give this amount. Well, I like to give more. You know that type of thing. It's getting hit on the head lessons in here. Exactly. All right, Steve, I got to have some fun. Tell us a little bit about yours. So my year was all about artists and rights. There were so many stories this year about how we create art and how we retain ownership of that art. Taylor Swift was definitely the star of 2023. Her concert was the story of music in 2023. And her re-recording of her songs to retain ownership is a big part of that conversation. When the ownership of her music was lost when she did not have control and have the rights to that music. She decided as a really smart business person to re-record those songs and create new music that she had the rights to. All right. So I'm, I'm going to clear this up a little bit because this is what you talked about. sounds a little confusing. She had rights to her music, but she shared those with the publisher with a company. And um, any time that a song is um, sold for advertising or any other type of marketing pur purpose, she would have had to share those rights with that other company. And she had approval of that, like I can approve that or not. So she chose as a very savvy person to, to abandon that group. And so she goes, I won't approve that recording for my original one, the one I share, but I'll re-record my albums and I'll approve this one where I get all those rights. So she owns the the rights to the song and the performances. Mm -hmm. So it, it really is, um, it was very savvy. Very. Very thoughtful. And the, the industry, you know, to, to be fair for these companies um, who share those rights, um, they put a lot of risk in artists that don't ever pan out to. Mm -hmm. So she, her, her, the bad part of it is it could gut people who can develop singers over time too. In the old days, you would get a record deal and over three or four albums, you would tighten your song, uh, tighten your, um, your albums, your, your recordings and stuff like that. The detriment of that is that you, many times you didn't own your original mm -hmm. copies to be able to um, to to make it a lifetime career. Mm -hmm. So anyway, it's a dirty business. Taylor Swift won this one. She finds a way. She finds a way for sure. Tracy Chapman found a way. She won the Song of the Year Award at the Country Music Awards this year for her song Fast Car that she released 35 years ago. This is a stunning story for me to think about how a song, a songwriter can find fame with that piece of work, that poetry of that song with a different singer, with a different presentation, 35 years after it was released. So there, there's uh, who was a singer, Steve? That's Luke Combs, Luke Combs of, of the country music, you know, the country music. Exactly. I wonder where Luke Holmes is from, Steve. Let me guess. The center of the known universe. I, absolutely. I, I don't know if you know that. Steve, he's from North Carolina. Shocking. What a <laughs> shocking development. Ladies and gentlemen, North Carolina is featured in Too Much Scrolling this week. Well, once again, Ch Tracy Chapman wrote this beautiful song a long, long time ago. It was off her debut album. The other piece of, of rights and art that really struck me this year was the actors and writers going on strike and getting new contracts after a very long, very long, prolonged strike. We're going to see the ripples of the actors and writers strike for years. We're already seeing some of the impact that this has had upon entertainment. And I, I look forward to how we're going to work together to make entertainment in the future. Steve, do we welcome our uh, artificial intelligence overlords at this point, or do we wait? 
We still have a contract that says no artificial intelligence. We don't want to give the rights away to any of this work. And we are fighting that tooth and nail for sure. All right. Couple of things I want to put on on everybody's radar. I did watch a lot of TV this year, as you all know. Muppets Mayhem won an Emmy for their work. The Muppets Mayhem TV show on Disney Plus. If you haven't seen it yet, you really need to. It really led my entertainment for 2023. I also suggest Poker Face, which is on Peacock. That is the 2023 remake of Columbo. A fantastic TV program. Oh, and by the way, there's new Doctor Who. There's there's Doctor Who available on Disney Plus in 2023. It's been a big year for nostalgic TV. What what's this television thing you're talking about, Steve? <laughs> Let me explain. It's is my it like, is lifestyle. It, is it a, like a miniature theater or something? Yes. Welcome to my lifestyle. We want to thank everybody who's been listening, all of our guests that came on in 2023. We had a great year, Chip. We did have a great year, and thank, 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 thank you. We'll we'll have a lot more fun next year, too. Yes. We want to thank all of our patrons over at patreon.com, supporting us throughout 2023, keeping the lights on, making it all happen. And of course, a big thanks to our house band Grenadier for all the music, every piece of music that we use every week. That's Grenadier. You can go to their website and find their albums. I'm still hoping for a new album from Grenadier in 2024. We'll see what happens. I don't know, Chip. I think we have enough information to survive another week, maybe into a new year. What do you think? Only if we can come back next week, Steve. I think we can. We would love to hear from you. Give us a call or a text. Our phone number is 805-4104-TMS. Our website is toomuchscrolling.com. Our email is toomuchscrolling at gmail.com. We're on all the social medias. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and YouTube. And you can always ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of Too Much Scrolling. I want to thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Chip Hatsumflo. The baby new year. <laughs> Happy new year. We'll see you in the future. I need to get a toad or something. It's getting chilly in Florida. See you next year.